Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of November 15, 2015. Were you one of the more than 110 people who attended the Kentucky Council of the Blind conference and convention this weekend? and helped us celebrate KCB's 50 golden years? If not, you missed a truly awesome event, start to finish. On this week's Soundprints, we bring you a few highlights from Friday of the convention. The program started at 2.30 in the afternoon with the Golden Vistas Technology, facilitated by Rick Boggess of Owensboro, and including presentations by Dave Wilkinson from HIMS and Brian Gomer of Lab Computers. They discussed the Sense product line and products from Humanware, Eschenbach, and AI Squared. The Gold Yarn Storytelling Session, sponsored by our Tri-State Library Users Chapter, was at 3.30, and Retrieving the Gold, presented by Guide Dog Users of Kentucky, was at 4.30. The convention officially opened at 6.30 and included a delicious dinner of turkey and dressing, pork tenderloin and apples, green beans, seven-layer salad, and potato salad. As usual, there was plenty for everyone to have seconds. Craig Metter, a new vice president at the American Printing House for the Blind in Educational Services, took us on an incredible trip into technology's golden future. Then came awards and recognition, our 50th anniversary celebration, complete with a special cake, and a crowd-pleasing performance of The Dogalogue, a play about a very special talking guide dog written by Rick Roderick of Louisville and first performed at the American Printing House for the Blind's Reader's Theater in March of 2015. The Dogalogue play at the convention was sponsored by Guide Dog Users of Kentucky and included members of GDUKY and our KCB Next Generation chapter. Adam Rushevel, with the assistance of Kirk Fry and Brock Persons, obtained some wonderful recordings of this convention. On page two are a few highlights of the official opening of the convention and the anniversary celebration. On page three is one of the stories presented by Cassandra Kulin a professional storyteller from Louisville, at the Gold Yarn Storytelling Session. And on page four, Kim Charlson, former president of Guide Dog Users and current ACB president, takes a look back at the years of advocacy that eventually made it possible for people to travel to Hawaii with their guide dogs. And she explains how that work has positively affected travel for guide dog users today. More highlights and convention programming will be included in future issues of Soundprints. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. 
page two. And enjoy ourselves and be entertained and, and learn a lot. And we're just going to have a good time. And I'm glad you're all here. I would like to ask you to uh, please stand for the national anthem. We will then have the Pledge of Allegiance, the invocation, uh, the national anthem will be done by Brad Mann and Dave Trevino, and then the uh, <coughs> Pledge of Allegiance will be done by David Smith. David Smith was a veteran of the uh, Air Force. He was in the Air Force. He's a new member of KCB, and he will be leading us in the, the Pledge of Allegiance tonight. And David lives in Louisville, and he's a first-timer to convention. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight o'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the Deb Trevino, do we have you to, for our invocation here? Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for the 50 years that you have given us, years that we've been able to be advocates for our fellow Americans, for those others who are blind and have not learned that they have a voice. Help us to invite them in, to encourage them to join this wonderful movement that we have so that we can make this country a better country in the next 50 years for all of us who are blind. We ask Almighty God that you would bless this time together this weekend that we have to celebrate and to build a better tomorrow. We ask that you would bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies and above all, please bless us to your service. For it's in Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's another person here tonight that uh, I ask if he could come and share just a couple of minutes of what KCB has meant to him. And perhaps throughout 
um, the day tomorrow, there will be opportunities for people to, to share what it has meant to be part of KCB, whether you're a member or not. You know, um, KCB has played an important role in some people's lives, and, and that's not just based on whether that person is a member. Is Ira Grouper, are you here? Ira, if, if you could um, talk to us just a couple of minutes about why KCB was important to you, uh, that, would be, that would be super. So, In 1975, I was ready, willing, and able to work and a major corporation in Louisville, actually a Fortune 50 corporation, refused to hire me because of my vision. I filed an administrative complaint under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which was the predecessor for the ADA. I was assisted by the Kentucky Council of the Blind through the personage of, of the late Carl Dotson and through the assistance of Derwood McDaniel, the, who was one of the founders, if not the founder, of the, of the American Council of the Blind and was a labor lawyer. It took me one and a half years of going through absolute H-E-double-L, but I prevailed, becoming among the first disabled people in the United States to win an employment discrimination case under the law that preceded the ADA. I would not have won that case if it were not for the good work of the American Council of the Blind and the KCB, and I will always be grateful. All right, this is Kim Charlson, and I've been asked to uh, lead this auspicious group in a recognition activity, so would you all stand with your glass in hand? So we can have a celebratory toast to the... Kentucky Council of the Blind. <laughs> it's, it's very rare that we have organizations celebrating a 50th anniversary of service and advocacy for the blind community. But in Kentucky today, we're doing just that, celebrating 50 plus years of outstanding leadership, advocacy, friendship, fellowship, and my wishes for you are to have 50 more just like the ones you've had with all your great successes. Congratulations to the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Cheers. 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 Congratulations to all of you, because without all of you, we wouldn't be here today. So thank you so much, and congratulations. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 3. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Sue Ellen Milo, and I'd like to welcome you to um, the Tri-State Library Users portion of the 50th anniversary of the KCB uh, convention. 
Um, I am president of Tri-State Library Users. Again, my name is Sue Ellen Milo. I'd like to introduce Bill Wright, who will introduce you to our speaker. Welcome. Um, I've, I've known Cassandra for several years and uh, looking forward to hear, hear her stories. Uh, first off, though, before we hear her stories, uh, I would uh, like to thank her for for the work that she she does uh, in the uh, Greater Louisville Council of Blind, the uh, Frankfurt Avenue area with pedestrians and sidewalks and bicycles and but talking about bicycles does one thing. She picks me up, gives me rides in her car all the time. But I haven't figured out how to go to back that bicycle yet. So uh, I've like I said, uh, looking forward to hearing her stories, and I'll turn it over to her. And thank you all for coming, and uh, thank you all really going to enjoy this session. We all have wisdom to share, our own or what we have learned from others. I took my storytelling to a whole new level when my daughter Alice was in preschool over 25 years ago. Her first year there, I found a story in a book I told her class. The teacher asked if I would tell a story a month. What a challenge, but so started my storytelling career. Since then, different experience have been, experiences have informed and enriched my storytelling, as have the storytelling conferences and workshops I've had the privilege to attend. As Alice grew up, my audience expanded to older children and adults. Now I create some of my own stories. Usually I tell stories I find in my own words, sometimes using phrases from the text of my source, but sometimes I found a story or even a children's book with such vivid imagery that I use much of the author's language in my telling. Reading aloud is another way to share stories which I've always enjoyed. Bukadu and Bukagwidden is my retelling of a folktale I found in Tatterhood and Other Tales, edited by Ethel Johnston Phelps, a book of folk tales with strong and creative women and girls, a little different from what many of us grew up with, where handsome princes rescue damsels in distress. In developing my retelling, I imagined the setting and each of the characters and how they would act as the story unfolds. I should also say that I'm a member of a Louisville storytelling group called Tale Talk, which um, Sue Ellen knows about. And um, Susan Card, who um, some of you might know, is an active member of this group. It's made up of storytellers of all kinds, from beginners to professionals, as well as folks who like to listen to stories. It's a wonderful place to try out a story, get feedback, and try it again over time, even month after month. Everyone is invited. We meet uh, on the third Mondays. And if you're interested, give me your email later and I can get you on the circulation list and you can get notices of meetings. My first story is Bukadu and Bukagwidden. Everyone in Cornwall knows that there are two Bukas. Bukadu has long fangs and long claws he is huge and ferocious. 
But Buka Gwyddon is a meek little thing after all. Once upon a time, uh, an old woman lived as happy as a cricket in a hedge with her son and her daughter-in-law. She loved nothing more than to go out at night anywhere there was a gathering of people playing cards, telling stories, singing. She would go and um, enjoy um, singing or telling stories till the wee hours of the night. She'd sing in her cracked voice till everybody was laughing. And then she'd come home late at night still singing, um, dragging her shawl a little bit, sometimes stop for a hot toddy over there and uh, at the inn if it was cold. Well, her son and her daughter-in-law were very proper sort of people, and they did not approve of their mother going out and coming home at such wee hours of the morning, making such a racket, they decided that they would do something to make sure this would never happen again. So they cooked up a plan. Now they were also very patient people, so they waited till just the right night, and it was just about this time of year, you know, around Halloween, and they waited for a night with no moon and just enough clouds to blot out the stars. And then they went, they waited until their mother had been gone for some time and they knew that she wouldn't be back for a while. And they went over to the chest up against the wall and they pulled out a huge sheet and put it over the son's head. Now, of course, they wouldn't cut holes in a good sheet, but they tied very loosely. Um, uh, the, his wife tied a string around his neck, and then she led him out to um, the corner of the field behind their house. Now, there was uh, a pasture with sheep in it on the other side of a huge hedgerow, very, very old hedgerow, and she led him to the far corner that where there was a stile. This is a place, some um, stone steps that went up over uh, the top of the hedgerow um, that people could get over, but the sheep couldn't. And she said, your mother will be coming over this stile, we know, sometime later tonight. So you just stand here in this dark place, this dark corner, and when, she, when you hear her clamor up to the top of the stile, you jump out and go, Ooh, wave your hands around, and once she sees that, she will never want to go out at night alone again. So his wife went back to the house, and the son stood there. It was pretty windy and sort of cold like it is about now here. And he heard, oh, what was that? What was that? That must have been, that must have been the creaking of the branches of the tree over there. He started thinking about Bukadu. This was just the kind of night that 
Boo could do would be out and about. What was that? What was that? Oh, that must be the mice collecting grains and seeds for the winter. The more he stood there, the more sounds he heard, the more worried he was about Bukadoo coming out. What's that breathing? Oh, it must be the sheep over on the other side of the hedgerow. Right. Well, he stood there and finally heard way off in the distance his mother's voice. She was singing like she always does. So he waited. He knew he had a mission. On the start Well, she's saying something. Sounds like she's talking to somebody, but at least... At least I'm here and I'll be finished with this soon. On this dark night there's not to be but Bukadoo and me and me. Did she say Bukadoo? Bukadoo, you stay back there. Oh, well, that man got even more frightened, but he was determined to stand his ground. Finally, she he heard his mother clambering up those stone steps and when he knew she must be at the top he jumped down and said and she sat down (laughs) oh poor little book pointing right at him you better run home because Bukadoo is right behind me and Bukadoo is not going to want to see you here Bukadoo, Bukagwidden is right there. Go after him. Bukagwidden, you better run home. Well, that man ran and ran, but he couldn't really see very well where he was going. He tripped over a root and was sure it was Bukadoo's big toe. He heard a screech and thought it must be Bukadoo. He ran into a tree and thought Bukadoo's arms were around him. The thorns of a bush caught on his sheet, and he thought Bukadoo's claws were in it. He ran and ran and heard his mother laughing, cackling back there. <laughs> oh, Bukadoo, you better run faster. Bukagwitten, you better go home. I don't know. Can something be done <laughs> Let's see. Let me try and hold it and see what I can. Well, that man got home. (sighs) Almost more dead than alive. He just gotten off his sheet. His wife was folding it up, putting it in the chest. He kicked off his boots and sat in the chair in front of the fireplace just told his wife what had happened when they heard his mother's voice <laughs> as she came to the door she opened the door and said oh the sight i saw tonight oh i was coming home i was walking home across the pasture over there and bukadu was behind me 
then I got up to the top of the stile right at the corner where our field is, and oh, little Bugaguitin jumped out and went woo, oh, and then Bugadoo went after Bugaguitin, and Bugaguitin ran, and and I don't know whether Bugadoo got Bugaguitin or whether Bukaguidin got away, but I do know that Bukaguidin had a sheet on just like the one in our chest over there. And son, he had boots on just like yourn. Well, her son just sort of sank down in his chair, getting as small as he could. And his wife sidled along the wall till she got to the door and went into the kitchen. But I will tell you that that man and his wife never again did try to interfere with their mothers going out and having a good time with her friends any night she wanted to come home as late as she wanted to. And as far as I know, she's still out there having fun with her friends, telling stories, and she has an even better story to tell now. And that is Bukadu and Bukaguidin. Page four. I'd like to welcome you to the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky meeting. We're glad to have you here. And we, first, we will have our speaker, and then we'll do the business meeting. Uh, Kim Charlson is our speaker. She is our national president of ACB, and she comes from uh, uh, Massachusetts, and she's the head librarian at Perkins, but she's also a longtime guide dog user. Dolly is what number dog? Number four. Number four. <laughs> she has a seeing eye dog. I've been there. That's a good place. She also is, uh, as she says, assistant treasurer of the Guide Dog Users in Massachusetts. She's going to speak to us today about what, how things happened for Hawaii, and we got to go, we can now take our dogs into Hawaii, which we couldn't do years ago, and that was a big project. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be here and to be a part of um, KCB's 50th anniversary convention. And um, if my experience with guide dogs goes back to when I got my first dog in 1981. I've been pretty fortunate that I've had, I'm on my fourth dog, so their average work life between 1981 and now was, was pretty darn good. Um, I have had female German Shepherds, all four of them, and I'm currently using Dolly, who's my partner, and she's um, just a little over seven years old. So um, my uh, experience with Guide Dog Users Incorporated, GDUI, um, I served as president of GDUI at the national level way back, um, 1986 to 1990. And one of the things we worked on during that time frame was access to um, access for guide dogs to Hawaii. So prior to about 
1990. Um, it was, well, actually prior to about 1999, I should say. Um, it, you could not take your guide dog to Hawaii without having your dog being placed in a six-month quarantine. Because Hawaii is a rabies-free zone, and so they have a lot of rules and regulations to protect it as an island nation. In fact, anyone who lives in Hawaii um, up until right around 1999-2000 was better off going to Australia or New Zealand to get a guide dog because those are also rabies-free zones. So a dog trained in Australia could go back to Hawaii without going through a quarantine. So, you know, we have this whole infrastructure of guide dog schools in the United States, and yet people in Hawaii couldn't go to schools, particularly in California, five, five hours by plane away versus about 15 hours away from New Zealand or Australia. So um, we worked with the government in Hawaii for a long time. You know, litigation is usually the last recourse. ACB generally tries to work with entities to try to come up with mutually agreed upon, um, you know, outcome for an issue that doesn't involve litigation. We tried legislation in Hawaii to change the rules. It didn't go anywhere. We tried filing complaints and grievances and just about everything we could think of for nearly 15 years, and nothing worked. So what happened in 1990 was the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the ADA really did help guide dog users. Some people say, well, I don't think the ADA did that much to help blind people. Well, here's a really classic example of how the ADA has helped blind people. Because there's a part of the ADA that talks about you know, fundamental access to programs and services of government. So if you can't get to the state and have independent mobility in a state to get you to and from all the services the state offers, um, it was pretty easy for us to establish a case that would show that the ADA did apply to being able to travel freely from state to state with a guide dog as a blind person and um, to be able to do that. We were always willing to have appropriate documentation for our dogs. So we filed a federal lawsuit in the Ninth Circuit Court, which is based out of San Francisco. And the, the case was about to go to trial in, uh, in 19, I think it was 1998. Um, and GDUI's attorney was a gentleman named Michael Lilly, 
He was the former attorney general for the state of Hawaii, so he was pretty high profile. He happened to have a brother-in-law who lived in California who was blind and had a guide dog. So it was a, a pretty good situation for us um, to get him as our attorney. And just before we were going to go to trial, um, the state of Hawaii settled with the court. So we got a settlement. We got exactly what we wanted without having to go to trial. And that settlement involved the, the establishment by the state of Hawaii of policies and procedures that a guide dog handler would um, be able to comply with. That's a guide dog user would need to do in order to have their dog be able to accompany them to Hawaii. So in the spring of 1999, four guide dog users traveled to Hawaii. Um, Janine Stanley, who was the president of GDUI at the time, and her husband Kent, and myself and my husband Brian, who had a dog at that time. And we traveled about a week apart. So Janine and Kent were the first two guide dog teams to go into Hawaii. Now, what do we have to do in order to get clearance to go into Hawaii? We had to do, the first thing we had to do was to get a titer test. Now, a titer test is a blood test. And there's only one lab in the entire United States, it's at Kansas State University, that can do a titer test. It's a rabies antibody test, and it shows the, the level of antibody protection that a dog has against rabies. So you can understand why Hawaii would want to know that a dog had adequate antibodies for rabies, that they were not a carrier of rabies. Not that our guide dogs would ever be a carrier of rabies because we take good care of them, but the government wants to be sure. So first thing you have to do, and this is still the case to go to Hawaii, is that it's, this is the documentation you have to have. You have to get a titer test. You have to get it, I think it's three months, at least three months prior to your visit. So no spur of the moment, I'm going with my sweetie to Hawaii for a wonderful vacation with my guide dog. You can't have spur of the moment when you're going to Hawaii with a dog. Your vet takes the blood sample, ships it off to Kansas State. It takes about two weeks to get the test. Um, the, the price of the test varies from veterinary clinic to clinic. Um, mine generally has been between $80 and $100, so it's quite a bit. I talked to the folks from Canada who also have to get titer tests. Theirs cost $400, so I don't know why. Theirs are so much. But um, So you get the titer test first. Then there's a form, that's a pretty lengthy form that you have to fill out about your dog's medical history. You and your veterinarian get to fill out the form. Um, you also have to get an international travel certificate. 
and that's filled out by your vet, and it shows the rabies vaccination history of your dog, which is in their their medical records. Um, Everything down to the lot number of the serum that was used when you got a rabies vaccination for your dog. That's pretty typical documentation in your medical files. And when we first started to go to Hawaii, so this was what Brian and I had to do the first time we went, we had to get all that paperwork together, we had to send it in advance, we had to give them our um, itinerary so that they would know um, we needed to arrive before 3 p.m. and a veterinary quarantine veterinary officer would meet our plane and they in fact they did our plane landed and um, before they let anyone off the plane they said would Kim and Brian Charlson please come forward so you know I'm sure everybody thought we were like you know the most wanted from the FBI list or something (laughs) so we were the first ones off the plane and right outside was the vet the veterinarian and we went up the jetway and he had a scanner with him in his briefcase so one of the things you have to do for international travel is your dog has to have a microchip um, a universal international microchip and that's pretty common practice these days um, because a lot of a lot of countries require the microchip so your microchips about the size of a grain of rice it's injected under the skin into the muscle usually around the shoulder blade area doesn't even really bother them and it kind of lodges in the muscle tissue and that's where it lives so um, I did hear one story from um, Jim Kutch who is the the president of the seeing eye and he has um, he has a had many dogs and his current dog, um, Vegas, he was going to go to Japan for the International Federation of Guide Dog Schools meeting. And he went to the vet, and the vet said, oh, we got all your paperwork in order. Well, let's just check the microchip. And so they pulled out the scanner, and they started scanning Vegas, and they couldn't find it. It migrated somewhere, somehow. I mean, they looked everywhere and scanned everywhere. Couldn't find it. So I periodically do ask them to check Dolly's microchip, make sure it's still there, and they can still read it, and it responds. Um, they can disappear. It's, it's unusual, but it can happen. So the vet met the plane, and the first time we went, um, we had to go back to the quarantine station with him, and he had to do his own examination of the dogs before he would give us the okay to go on our own, you know, out, out and about for the rest of our trip. I've been back to Hawaii, gone through the, the process, the, filling out the paperwork um, twice since then. The most recent was um, March of 2014, and it was much different the other two times. The vet met the plane, we walked off the plane, He looked at the documentation, he scanned the microchip, and he said, 
have a nice trip, and we were off. So he didn't take us back to the station anymore, no, no um, detailed exam. They've you know, kind of modified their policies as time has come and gone, and they've realized that there haven't been any situations that have put Hawaii's you know, agriculture at risk or their animal population at risk from um, rabid, rabid guide dogs, which don't exist. <laughs> so, so the process is much easier and much better. Um, I know a couple people right now who are in, three guide dog users this week are in Hawaii. And um, so folks are taking full advantage of the ability to go to Hawaii with their dogs, which is great. That's what the work of GDUI was all about, to open up um, a barrier that was before people with guide dogs, causing them not to be able to use their guide dogs effectively. So since, um, since we've opened up Hawaii, a lot of progress has been made in international travel with your guide dogs. So people might know that of course, years ago, you could not take your guide dog to England. They had a nine-month quarantine in England. And that has changed completely. They now have a, pa a pet passport program. You can apply and get the forms. And you, you still have to have a titer test result um, to go to Great Britain or Ireland and fill out the paperwork but it is possible to take your dogs to the United Kingdom now where it did not used to be possible to do that. Um, in the last year, I've traveled internationally to Antigua in the Caribbean. And that was kind of interesting. I had to, you know, show the titer test results. Um, they were pretty, I, I emailed them and I said, do you have a form? And they go, oh, we don't use forms, just, you know, we're the Caribbean, <laughs> just send your, your test results and everything will be fine. So I got there, had my paperwork with me, I got through customs, and then they said, okay, go over there and wait for the vet to come. So he came in about 10 minutes, and he looked at Dolly's papers, and he said, this is all very good, very organized, and, and that'll be $80. I said, $80? For what? And he said, well, it's the entrance and exit fee for your dog. I said, you don't charge people. You charge dogs a fee. Okay. So I paid $80 to get Dolly into Antigua. <laughs> so um, in September, I traveled to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I took Dolly and had to fill, fill out the international travel certificate. But that was really about it. I attached her titer test results because I had them and um, was told, you know, great, no problem. And in fact, when I got to Brazil, um, the, you know, I got through customs. No one asked to see anything about Dolly. We walked through the airport, out to a taxi, got in our cab and enjoyed the rest of our trip and nobody seemed to even mind. They were it's probably the country outside the United States that I have had the most positive response to having a guide dog in. They were completely cool about dogs. No one ever said, no, you can't bring that dog in here. 
No, you can't have your, that dog in my taxi cab. You can't ride my bus. You can't come in this restaurant. Everybody was just wonderful, really interested in Dolly and me, what we were doing, and just very, very welcoming. And I was totally surprised. I was not expecting that to be the case. Now, they do have one guide dog training school in Brazil, and they have um, several handlers there. Um, many of the people who use guide dogs in Brazil actually get them from schools in the United States. So I know Leader trains a lot, Guiding Eyes, Seeing Eye does some. Um, tends to be more East Coast schools because um, Brazil is, is one time zone ahead of Eastern time. So it's a little, it's a, you know, less distance, so to speak, um, to go to an East Coast school. So that's a little bit about travel. I just love counting. You know, you all really need to be nicer to Mr. Scrooge. He gets a bad rap, and I don't think it's fair because he saves his money, and he only spends it on things that are important. Well, we'll see about that. The fourth annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction on Sunday, December 6th from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern will be a great place for your holiday shopping. Broadcasting once again from Louisville, Kentucky on five of ACB Radio's seven channels, you can tune in via the Internet, by phone, or through our new iOS app, ACB Link. 60 items up for bid, homemade jewelry, another old-time radio collection, and those ever-popular and even what? Healthy, delectable treats? Find these and many more items, descriptions, rules, and continual updates on our website, acb.org slash auction1215. So, Ebenezer, darling, what do you plan to buy me this year in the holiday auction? <laughs> bah. Humbug. Now, Ebenezer, that's no way to treat me after all these nice things I've been saying about you. <laughs> Save your money now, along with the date, December 6th at 7 p.m. And let's all prepare to bid and buy these wonderful items, raising money in support of ACB Radio. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. This calendar includes special events and date changes for the upcoming holidays. November 19 is the KSB Fall Concert from 6 to 7.30 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfort Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-897-1583. November 20 is Braille and Low Vision Carnival at KSB. 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. It's an activity for elementary students from around the state, and it's held on the KSB campus. Call 502-897-1583 for more information. November 20 is the next GLCB Roundabout. Education and Technology at 3.30. Holiday Recipe Exchange at 5 o'clock. Dinner, $5 per person at 6.15. Bingo, 7 p.m., $2 a person, and cards and crafts until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598.
On November 22, ACB Families will hold its next conference call meeting at 9 p.m. Call 605-475-6333 and enter code 1711553. November 23 is the next Guide Dog Users Membership Meeting. It's at 7 p.m. by phone, 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. November 28 is a Family Day Open House from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. The activity is in the museum and will include writing your name in Braille, participating in lots of other fun activities, especially for kids, There'll be a Discovery Channel video about how a puppy becomes a dog guide and is matched with a new owner, and there'll be holiday goodies and hot cider. For all ages, call the American Printing House Museum at 502-899-2213 for information. November 29 is the KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. by telephone. Call 475 475- 6006, the area code is 605, and enter code 294444. On November 30 is the next KCB board meeting, and it's also at 8 p.m. on the same conference line, 605-475-6006. The code is 294444. In December, on December 2, the KCB PR Membership Committee We'll meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, code 294444. December 3, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly membership meeting and annual holiday party from 4 to 7 p.m. BCB will provide the main course, BCB board members will bring a dish, and everyone else is welcome to come to the party. Optional Dirty Santa Gift Exchange. Bring a wrapped gift of $10 minimum in value. At the BCB Office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. More information at 859-259-1834. Also on December 3, ACB Lions will hold its next conference call meeting. The conference number is 712-432-3900. The code is 796096, and the meeting is at 9 p.m. On December 5, the American Printing House will hold its Holiday Card Factory from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Visit the APH Museum to learn how visually impaired people see with their fingertips. Craft your own tactile ornament and make unique holiday cards. It's free, but space is limited. It's best for adults and children five and up. We understand that this activity is filling fast and that an afternoon session will probably also be available. Call 502-899-2213 for more information. Also on December 5 is Christmas with Council at United Crescent Hill Ministries from 5 to 9 p.m. in Louisville. This Christmas party is co-sponsored by KCB Next Generation, Guide Dog Users of Kentucky, Library Users, and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. There will be dinner, games, caroling, kids' activities, and Santa. The bargain table will open at 4.30. $5 per person, 
Call 502-895-4598. On December 6th, the fourth annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction will happen from 7 to 11 p.m. It will be live on five of the ACB Radio channels. Visit www.acb.org slash auction1215 to see items up for bid and to read the auction rules. December 8 is the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired Savvy Meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central at Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170 for more information. December 10, Mentor Training Session. Time to be announced at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind. This is for mentors who need to be blind or visually impaired and involved with the Bluegrass Council for at least a year. Call BCB at 859-259-1834 for more information. December 11 is the next GLCB Roundabout, Education and Technology at 3.30, Holiday Traditions at 5, Dinner $5 per person at 6.15, Games and Crafts 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. December 12 is the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind Christmas Party at Remus Diner, 635 Madison Avenue in Covington. More details coming soon. Call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. December 18 is the last GLCB roundabout for the year. Education and technology at 3.30. Gift wrapping and more holiday fun at 5 o'clock. Dinner $5 per person at 6.15, a carol sing at 7 o'clock, and games and crafts until 10. Call 502-895-4598 for information. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody. Well, I'm dancing up, well, I'm dancing up.